Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temples the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 10 to 22. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rosie. Uh, If you're joining us tonight for the first time in the series, uh, we're doing a series called God Is, We Are, thinking about how who we are, our personal identity, is rooted in, in who God is, his character and nature. And uh, tonight we're looking at how God is holy and how we are made holy. And if I can be uh, honest up front, this has been a really troubling sermon to write. As I was preparing it over the last couple of weeks, especially trying to get started, I was feeling anxious about it and I realised it's because God is holy 
and I am not. God is holy, but, but I am not holy. I really, resonate, I really resonate with that cry from Isaiah. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. No offence. <laughs> but really, I'm talking about something that I have no personal experience with, no lived experience. And so the risk for hypocrisy is massive. I'm not at heart a holy person. And holiness is, it's not one of those things that you can be just a bit holy. It's not like love or or generosity, right? You can be a bit loving or you can be generous up to a point. It's not like that with holiness. You, You can't be a bit holy. Either you are holy or you're not. And I know which side of the ledger I'm on. And I think actually we get this about ourselves. Uh, like Tad uh, referencing his uh, small group, not many of us have pretensions that we're holy. And actually, often we're a bit suspicious if uh, someone makes out that they are holy. Someone walks in and starts telling you about how good and godly they are. Uh, you might be impressed or you might be starting to think, well, what are they hiding? What skeletons have they got in their closet? This is too good to be true. When I first grasped the gospel and began to live intentionally as a Christian, uh, my friend told me I was being aloof. Uh, He was probably right, but he didn't like it. He was basically saying that I was being holier than thou. And it's it's an insult, isn't it? It's, It's about being superior and arrogant. And it's usually fake. We've heard so many stories of the the outwardly devote, the religious, the upright, who are a bit judgmental to others and inwardly are guilty of the same sins or worse in private. And so we're suspicious of holiness. When when even the people who look holy turn out not to be holy, even the priests are corrupt and tainted, is holiness even possible? Does it even exist? In a week's time, the new King Charles III will be crowned. His coronation will be a a TV event for for millions, probably billions around the world. At the last coronation uh, in Westminster Abbey of his mother, Queen Elizabeth uh, II, back in the early 50s, there was one moment where she was anointed with oil. And it happened under the shade of a canopy. So the TV cameras couldn't see it. It was hidden from view because it was deemed too special, too sacred, too too holy to be exposed to public gaze. There are some customs, some moments that are deeply special. This week we've had Anzac Day and, and Remembrance Day services are also like this. They're special moments. We're meant to respect them. Years ago, I walked into Westminster Abbey. It's an amazing place. For almost a thousand years, the kings and queens of England have been crowned there and holds the tomb of so many illustrious figures of British history. Uh, There are memorials to to people like Charles Dickens and Jane Austen and Isaac Newton, as well as uh, so many kings and queens. And so it feels like a holy place, hallowed by centuries of human tradition and reverence and awe and respect. We talk about other holy places too, like the Holy Land in Israel and Palestine, uh, or this land and the sacred bond that Indigenous Australians uh, have had with it for millennia, or the the hallowed turf of the MCG, 
a sacred place uh, for many. I, I had a friend at school who won a, a prize for his academic work and he was allowed to select a book. And I remember him telling me that he chose a book called The Temple Down the Road and it was a history of the MCG. It's a, it's a sacred space for many. And each of these places is considered holy because of the deep ingrained traditions of reverence and awe. You could think of holy objects in the same way, different religions that have their holy texts. And in each of these cases, what we really mean is that human tradition has treated it as special. We've set this place or this object apart and treated it with reverence and awe, and so now it's holy. That's what holiness is for us. It's tradition. So I come back to my question from before. Does holiness really exist in the the larger, the transcendent sense, in a way that could, could kind of break in and transform our lives more than just the sum of, of human tradition? And I guess the answer to that question depends on whether uh, there's space for God in your view of the world, particularly a God who would come near. Because in the Bible, God alone is holy. If you want to know what holiness is, don't look at at humans and our traditions and customs. Look at God. And yet be warned. Because look at what happens when Isaiah comes face to face with a vision of the Almighty. This is the day that Isaiah's life changes forever. Uh, From Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts And thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. God is holy, holy, holy. You can't emphasize it enough. Uh, Holiness is not something we construct. It's the the overwhelming, blazing purity of, of God. Awesome. Wonder. It's the measure of how different, how perfect, how altogether other God is. It's shrouded in smoke. It's mysterious yet overwhelming. Even these heavenly angels, the seraphs, cover their faces and their feet. They are not worthy to behold the awesome majesty of God. Because he is the Holy One and his glory fills the earth. Uh, I was trying to think, I wanted to give you an example of God's holiness. God's, you know, to be able to say God's holiness is like uh, this kind of thing that you're familiar with. But I couldn't think of anything. Because holiness is not familiar. Holiness is all the ways that God is different and totally unlike and above you and me and everything else that is created. It's it's meant to be mind-blowing. Look at how this glimpse of God's holiness affects the prophet Isaiah in verse 5. 
He has this vision, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah thinks this is the worst day of his life, probably the last day of his life. This is what God's holiness does to us. It exposes us utterly. In the face of God's all-consuming, blazing holiness, our sin, our uncleanness, our guilt, our corruption, our compromise, our our white lies, our, our little indulgences are all exposed. There's nowhere to hide. The more we see God's holiness, the more acutely aware we become of our unholiness. And we're vulnerable. This is not a a safe space to be. We want to know that God is like us, that he gets us, that he's relatable and really not that much different to us, really. It's just not true. It's just not true. God's presence is terrifying. He has to warn people not to approach him for their own good or they'll be destroyed. Only a few priests uh, in Isaiah's time could approach him. They had to go through specific cleansing rituals. God teaches Israel again and again. They cannot approach him in their unholy state. Because God is utterly holy. And the more we grasp his holiness, the more we realize our sin. How how corrupt we are. How offensive even we are to God. The, The gulf between us just gets wider and wider. Because he can't be just a bit holy. God is holy. We are not. I wonder where you see your own unholiness most clearly. Is it in your speech and and how you talk to others? Is it judgmental attitudes in your heart that spill over into words? Is it lust and desire? Is it greed and selfishness? Is it a feeling of being contaminated or tainted by something? that you're just no longer worthy. Perhaps it's all of these and more. And if we stand up and try to pretend we are holy, well, our consciences betray us. We're kidding ourselves and we're diminishing who God is. We're diminishing his holiness by pretending that we can approach it and come close and kind of close that gap like it isn't really a big thing. But look at what Isaiah does. When he lets go of denial and and stops trying to hide and confesses his unholiness, what does God do? Does God smite him where he stands? Does God banish him from his presence forever, or at least until he's cleaned up his lips? No. God's uncompromising holiness expresses itself in love. He makes atonement for Isaiah. God sees his guilt and sin. Isaiah was right about himself. But God can overcome even our sin. God can overcome our unholiness. 
the seraph takes a coal from the altar, uh, hinting at the sacrifice that, that, are, offered there, that are offered there. And, and cleanses Isaiah's lips. Uh, in verse 7, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. And now Isaiah is fit for God's presence. God has made him fit. God has made him holy. Sometimes the word that's used is sanctified. God has sanctified him. It just means that God has made him holy. Not not made holy by human custom or tradition. Made holy by God, by the very source of holiness himself. This is good news for Isaiah. But what about for you and me? Uh, We haven't had blazing visions of God. Uh, At least I haven't. We haven't had an angel bring a coal and purge our lips and take away our guilt. So how dare we approach this holy God? How dare we approach this holy God? Well, we do dare. We do dare because if you have stood before him and confessed your unholiness, then you have had not an angel come and welcome you. You've had the Son of God himself come and welcome you. If you've sought forgiveness and mercy from God, you're not relying on a coal from the altar that hints at a sacrifice for sins. You're relying on the one true and sufficient sacrifice for all time when Christ offered himself on the cross. We haven't had our lips touched. We've had God's Spirit transform our hearts. Verse 14 from the Hebrews reading in chapter 10 says, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're made perfect forever by Christ's sacrifice. What an amazing statement about who you are. You're made perfect forever. The holy and awesome God has made you perfect through the sacrifice of Christ. You can stand in his presence. You can draw near to him because your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You are made perfect forever. So you can see why Uh, the answer is not to try and diminish that gulf between God's holiness and our unholiness. Because as we see more of God's holiness, we see more of our sin, and we actually see just how great and marvellous the cross of Christ is that bridges that gap. Because God is holy, and so now so are you. We are made holy, fit for the presence of God. Uh, One thing I hate when I'm camping is uh, when I'm sitting down to dinner and I discover that someone has kicked sand in the food. Uh, It doesn't matter how delicious the meal is or was. All I can taste is the grit between my teeth. 
And usually I think we think about holiness like this, right? just takes one tiny little bit of grit, one tiny little sin to spoil the whole thing. It's all very well, Jesus has made me holy, but what about now? But when God sanctifies us, it's different. It's not like this. We are made perfect forever. God's holiness keeps flooding in and flooding over the sins we commit. He continues to maintain and guarantee our holiness, even when we don't live up to it. We're made perfect forever. So God is holy. We are made holy. Before we finish, let me uh, draw out uh, some implications of this for us holy creatures. Uh, Firstly, we're made holy for a purpose. This is so evident for Isaiah, isn't it? God sanctifies him and straight away God says, who will go for us? God has a mission. And Isaiah puts his hand up straight away. Uh, He doesn't ask how long is it going to take? What's it going to cost me? Is it going to be a good deal? He doesn't try and bargain with God. He says, here I am. Send me. When your life has been sanctified by God, when you've seen the awesome majesty of God and grasped your own unholiness and yet God has bridged that gap through the cross of Christ and transformed you, well, there's only one response. Here I am. Send me. And so for us, when God sanctifies us in Christ, we're commissioned, we're set apart for his Mission. We're not made holy just to sit in the cupboard and gather dust. We're set apart for mission. We're called to go and bear witness to the holy God, to how his holiness has transformed us, that the whole world might be reconciled to Christ and share in that holiness. And to do that, we need to live in a tension. You might experience this. It's the tension that holiness creates. We need to treat ourselves as holy and live different to those around us. And this creates tension. Not not holier than thou, but if God has, has set us apart and sanctified us from all unrighteousness, then we respect what he's done. We don't involve ourselves again in unrighteousness. We're not washed clean so that we can run straight back and get dirty. We're washed clean so that we can bear witness to the holy God. Because as we live holy lives, as we pursue God and his ways, as we speak about the Lord Jesus who transformed us, we become a living witness to what God can do, even with us, how he can transform us as individuals and as a community. And so we become ambassadors for the gospel. Like Isaiah, we're sent to take God's message of reconciling holiness to people who desperately need to hear it. So take a moment, how might your holiness be evident to people around you? Not in ways that implicitly condemn or demean them, but in ways that raise questions, that show that you're living for a different purpose. Does your lifestyle raise questions because of what you abstain from or because of what you give yourself to or give your time or your money to? things that don't make sense otherwise? 
Does your conversation raise questions? Because you have a hope that, that others may not share. And a confidence in who you are before God that, that can't be shaken through the ups and downs. Even if you let yourself down, Christ is sufficient. And do we raise questions in how we love one another? Are we there for our brothers and sisters, in the, even in the midst of our busy lives? Might we be willing to lay down our time, our money, our possessions for the good of others? Because God has made us holy and set us apart for a purpose. So as we finish, let me come back to that intriguing verse from Hebrews. Uh, you might have picked up a contradiction in it. Uh, this is chapter 10, verse 14. It says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we're made perfect forever and we're being made holy? Which is it? Are we perfect forever or are we still being made holy? Well, as with most difficult choices, the answer is yes. Yes, we are perfect forever. Through Christ's sufficient sacrifice for sin, God is continuing to transform us as well. His Holy Spirit is living in us, growing us more like God, shaping us to live more holy lives that better reflect who we already are in Christ. Because that's, that's kind of the problem. We don't always live out our true identity. Sometimes we live unholy lives. Sometimes we compromise. Sometimes we willingly sin. And yet that doesn't change who we are. Because who we are is not rooted in what we do. Right? It's rooted in who God is. And he is holy. And he has made us holy. So we are holy. So friends, that means that one day we will not sometimes sin. One day we won't compromise with evil or fall back into selfishness. And one day we won't be scared or threatened by holiness either. We won't need to deny it or cut it down like a tall poppy. Because one day we too will see God, not just a vision, but see God face to face. And in the face of his blazing holiness, it'll be the strangest feeling because we'll suddenly realise that there is nothing more to be exposed. There is nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Such is the transforming power of God, the power of what Christ has done for us. Let's take a moment to pray before we sing. Our holy God, we thank you and we praise you that you are holy, that you don't compromise, that you uh, remain who you are, holy, good, loving, awesome in purity. And thank you, God, that you invite us into that through Christ.
give us a deeper sense of your holiness, a deeper sense of our holiness through what Christ has done for us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we praise you, holy God. Amen.